entrepreneurs, business owners, professionals who seek excellence, bringing the business classroom to you. It's the Business Builder Show. Here's Marty Wolf. We still got a long way to go. Yes, we all got a long way to go. Welcome to the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf. The show for entrepreneurs, business owners, and business leaders. I'm Marty Wolf, your host for the Business Builder Show, and along with my executive producer, DC Taylor, we will be your guides on this learning journey. Let me tell you my super objective in being with you today. I want to enthusiastically share stories and information to inspire leaders. That's you, by the way, so you can inspire others. The Business Builder Show is distributed by C-Suite Radio. You can find our show and many other fine shows at c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. My guest today is Peter Fader, F-A-D-E-R. Peter, welcome to the Business Builder Show. Great to talk to you, Marty. This is going to be fun, Peter and... Person named Sarah Toms wrote a great book. The title of the book is The Customer Centricity Playbook. The subtitle is, listen carefully, Implement a Winning Strategy Driven by Customer Lifetime Value. I'm very interested in this topic. Peter, tell us about yourself and Sarah. Give us a quick background. Sure thing. So I am a professor at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. So I've been doing research and teaching and consulting and just kind of spreading the gospel of quantitative marketing for 30 plus years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two startups along the way that perhaps what we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. So really trying to create new knowledge, but that sounds kind of academic. (laughs) Going out there and actually changing practices Ah. to to leverage that knowledge. That's me. And then uh, it's too bad that Sarah can't be with us this morning, but uh, she's a colleague, she runs a new group here called Wharton Interactive. We Hmm. build a lot of simulations that we use uh, in our classrooms, and there's a lot of external demand for them. Hmm. So uh, creating simulations and other kinds of interactive learning exercises, she's the founder and executive director of that. Uh, And how did this academic and this kind of um, well-accomplished uh, practitioner come together. Well, well, we'll talk about all that. Yeah, there we go. So the book is the Customer Centricity Playbook. So uh, let's talk about your work, discuss your work. And you wrote a previous book on this basic title, Customer Centricity. So how did your work and your previous book really prepare you to write this one? I actually have to go a step further back than that. I have okay. to talk just in a non-technical way about okay. a lot of the academic research that I do. So I build these predictive models. It's my job to figure out who's going to do what, when, and for how long, and for how much money. Mm. If we can anticipate what the future is going to look like for a given customer or a set of customers, we can make better decisions. And it turns out there's some very regular patterns about customer acquisition, customer retention, customer development. Sometimes the mm. the standard myths that we have about customers aren't true. So it's kind of my job to kind of lay out the truth and then say, what's a strategy that would best capitalize on it? Mm. So I wrote my first book back in 2012 
to do just that, to kind of, I, I just, in, in, again, in very general terms, identify this notion of a customer-centric strategy, that not all customers are created equal, and if we can figure mm. out who the right ones are and, and kind of find ways to enhance their value and find more like them, that we'll make more money than if mm. we obsess over the product. You so the challenge first, a lot of assumptions in the book. We'll get through some of them today. As a matter of fact, um, I already told you before we went on the air that uh, – the uh, book challenged me in the sense that I couldn't go through this quickly. <laughs> I needed to stop and say, hmm, that's a different approach. And, uh, but I love the idea of customer lifetime value. That's why it really grabbed my idea, uh, grabbed my uh, attention, I should say. So you open the book in the introduction talking about uh, the global gaming giant, Electronic Arts. Why was that company kind of the right place to start your book? You know, it's not an obvious place to start. No, There's it so wasn't. Many companies that, that, but it's incredible what they're doing. Uh, and I have no direct involvement with them. So it's not like I'm, I'm touting some client of mine or, or something like that. I am just a big fan of their chief analytics officer, Zachary Anderson, and, and the whole giant team that he's built. And if you think about EA... Uh, until fairly recently, they were just a packaged goods company. They were mm -hmm. producing shrink-wrapped things. They were selling them through Walmart and other retailers, GameStop. Mm -hmm. uh, and they had no direct visibility into who was playing their games or, or, or who was buying them. And they decided they needed to change that, that they wanted to be more, more have, have more of a direct relationship with the end users and to let their knowledge of those end users, who they are, what they're doing, drive all the decisions that they make. So they've, they've really transformed themselves to be able to now uh, not only tag and track who's doing what, when, and for how much money, but to, to really, truly um, have that drive, what kind of games they're developed, what kind of ads they're going to come up with, what kinds of people do they want to hire, knowledge of the customers, and in particular, mm. knowledge of customer lifetime value mm -hmm. is now so central across the organization, not just to marketing, mm. uh, that they don't make any kind of decision, any kind of strategic decision without thinking about which customers are going to be affected and how much financial value are they going to create or potentially destroy by mm. taking on those tactics. I, I loved it. <laughs> you really grabbed me in that introduction. I loved the whole uh, the book title. Uh, you had my attention, but you really grabbed me for the rest of the book hearing that story. Again, the book is the Customer Centricity Playbook. Uh, we have Peter Fader, F-A-D-E-R, uh, with us, and he is the co-author along with Sarah Toms. So maybe we should back up a little bit more, Peter. Maybe we should define what you mean by customer centricity. Yes, indeed. So, so you know, I have to admit, it's a really bad choice of words on my part. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I, well, explain I, then. Explain. Because really, too many people hear that and they say, oh, yes, yes, yes. We are centered around the customer. The customer is at the heart of everything we do. We're only as good as our you know, least happy customer. And I'm saying, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's not it. Yeah. It's almost polar opposite. Here's the point. Customers are vastly different from each other. This is one of the things that we've learned. There's tremendous variability across them. So it's our job to figure out who the right customers are. So, in fact, if you look at the original book, the subtitle of it was Focus on the Right Customers the, for Strategic yeah. Advantage. Yeah. So you got this wide variety of customers. Who are the ones that we want to be centered around? We can't be centered around everybody because they're so different from each other. 
and our ability to serve each and every one of them on a one-to-one level, that's just ridiculous. You mm. can't do that. Mm. Uh, and so we got to figure out who the right customers are, the most, the ones who will be most valuable to us, and find ways to build the right kinds of relationships, offer the right kinds of products, be responsive to their needs and concerns, and find more like them. So it's the idea of picking and choosing uh, and not to say we're ever going to get rid of customers. I'm not into, interested yeah. in firing, yeah, yeah. but of treating some better than others. That's the really bold part. Yeah. And you did a great job. And again, I was going to ask you that question. Uh, does, does that mean we ignore the lower half of our customer base? No. And you explain in the book. So I'm glad you made that clear. So you have, I guess, in the context of uh, defining who those quote unquote right customers are, you just you, you you talk about customer goodness, customer goodness. Tell me about that. Sure. So look, some customers are just born better than others. And what does that mean? It means they're going to stay longer. It means they're going to buy more. It means that when they buy more, they're going to spend a little bit more. They're going to buy things on full margin, not just when it's uh, you know on the on the on Black Friday sale. They're going to be advocates for your company and your brand. They're going to refer a lot of customers and tend to refer good customers. So if we can figure out who those those just right customers are, then we get that this this wonderful virtuous cycle of good things that happen. Mm-hmm. And too many companies, everyone aspires to have customers like that. But too many co- uh, companies go out it the wrong way. They say, let's bring in as many customers as we can as cheaply as possible. Mm. And then we will educate them to become good. Mm. That's really hard. It's expensive. It's inefficient. And you're better off trying to figure out what makes the good customers different from the not so good ones and do whatever it takes to acquire customers like them. To do it right from the beginning. <clears throat> Right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. that's an and important that's, point. Get it right it as best you can. It goes very much a, against the grain of a lot of yeah, companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, see, I, I wanted to drive home that point. Acquire the customers, the right customers. Um, so, And you tell the story about Michael Phelps and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, we're not going to explain that now. We're going to have to read the book to hear about Michael Phelps. <laughs> I love so it. we got we to read the book. <clears throat> so this customer goodness. Um, so, okay, let me, let, me, let me see. I have so many notes here. Okay. So let's put it in financial terms, I guess. So CLV, customer lifetime value. Explain that to me, I guess, maybe in dollars and cents. Explain what you mean. Talk to me. It is dollars and cents. That's an important point about it. Yeah. Uh, it, It is customer goodness turned into a specific number. So we are going to project ahead how long you're going to stay, how many transactions you're going to make, how valuable they will be. Uh, we're going to come up with, with our best guess of your future profitability. Now, we'll never know for sure what it is. I mean, obviously, the future is uncertain and a lot of things can happen. But we're going to come up with the best guess. So we're going to say, if we look at a bunch of customers who have a similar profile, a similar history as you, what is that group of you going to be worth on average? Mm. And we can do that amazingly well. There's a lot of people who don't believe it, but we can actually come up with that number, again, at that micro-segment level, right. remarkably well. And, and, and the whole point of customer centricity is, if we can do that, if I have that magic wand that can show me the value of each customer, we would run our business differently. Yes. So we should strive to get those numbers and really use them to leverage every aspect of the business. And, and that's the main thing that I do as an academic, is come up with leading-edge methods to derive these customer lifetime values and then educate companies about how to leverage them. 
I can't imagine anything being more important than that. So you're listening to The Business Builder Show. I'm your host, Marty Wolf. My guest is Peter Fader. His book he wrote, along with Sarah Toms, is the the Customer Centricity Playbook. And the subtitle is important. Implement a Winning Strategy Driven by Customer Lifetime Value. So, again, you're, you went counterintuitive in a couple things in the book. Well, a lot of things, quite frankly. Um, so... <laughs> Why uh, are the, the, the kind of the traditional marketing viewpoint of uh, looking at demographics and personas, uh, you know, typically people look at that and say, well, that's our market. Those are our, our prospective clients. Well, why is that flawed? Well, back in the madman era, you know, late uh, 1950s, early 1960s, that was the best you could do. Yeah. We didn't have transaction logs. We didn't have ways to tag and track and project uh, individual customers. Yeah. All we could do is look at them and say, what bucket do they go into based on what they look like, what they read, what kind of car they drive, what zip code they live in. Yeah. Uh, and it turns out when you start looking at people's behavior, who buys what when, it's just so much more relevant. It's so much more indicative. It's so much more predictive yeah. than all of those demographics and psychographics. Yeah. The main reason we rely on the demographics and psychographics is because that's what our forefathers did. Right. But we can do better than that. We have the ability to do that tagging and tracking. We can get good data. We can project things like customer lifetime value. And that's what we should be using as the basis of segmentation today. It's, it is going to be much more predictive and much more actionable, too. Yeah, Peter, I think some people, big companies, small companies, just don't believe it. I mean, we have the ability to do that now with the, all the data analytics and all the AI and blah, on and on and on and on. I mean, there's so much, so many ways to slice the pie. If I have the old way to, to, to say it, I guess. Um, so let's see here. Um, well, if I could jump in, Marty. Yeah, uh, go ahead. Um, you know, this has been one of the biggest frustrations in my career is that I'm coming up with these methods. They work really well. I'll go to companies and I'll say, here are these models. Here, I'm going to give you videos and I'll give you code and spreadsheets and, and, and PowerPoint decks. Please use this stuff. And they would push back. They wouldn't believe it. And so that's what led me to not only write the book to motivate this stuff, but to found my first startup, a company called Zodiac, yeah. where all we were doing was waving the, the, the magic CLV wand. was working with a wide variety of companies, retailers, um, financial services, pharmaceuticals, hospitality, yeah. to say, we can give you those CLVs and we can prove to you that they work and we can surround you with a bunch of different use cases to fully leverage it. And it was a wonderful exercise to take these models and make them real and show companies that you can make more money by understanding CLV. And then just about a year ago, Nike bought the company, which was really a, a wonderful validation sure. yeah. that these models work and that a big giant company with a wonderful brand uh, can really make even more money by focusing on its customers. So it looks like people dealing with change is one of the issues. Am I correct? Oh, it's so true. Because the, look, the things that I'm saying are kind of radical. The kinds of data and practices are kind of different. We're talking about a fundamentally different strategy where we focus on differences across customers and not just product, product, product. And there's a lot of companies who go, you know, even if you're right, 
Um, it just doesn't work for us. It doesn't fit with our corporate culture. Yeah. It doesn't fit with our mission. Our yeah. employees will be confused. Yeah. Uh, and so, again, that's my job is to motivate them to show them how they can make those changes and why it's in their best interest. And that's why I like the way you emphasize it, Marty, when you uh, give the subtitle of the book. It's all about implementation. Yeah. It's not just about saying, here's the CLV magic wand. Watch the money come raining down from the sky. <laughs> it's <No. laughs> teaching people how to go through this process. You know what? I signed a manifesto this morning. Indeed. Am I, I part of it. the team? Am I part of the team? Talk to me about that. I sure will. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to give my co-author, Sarah Toms, credit for this. She's a technologist by training, and she's looked at software development and, and implementation of IT systems and knows what a total mess that is. <laughs> and so one of the things that really changed her life, as it has for many people in the technology space, is the Agile manifesto. Yeah. There are a bunch of developers came together with back in 2001 and it really brought kind of commonality and process and efficiency to the software and, and technology world and what we're trying to do is to replicate that model with the customer centricity manifesto mm -hmm. let's come up with a core set of principles that all of us should agree on uh, and if we can get those out there and then the kind of day-to-day -day practices associated with them we can make this happen. So I give Sarah all the credit in the world. And if, if people are interested, just like you did, Marty, you go to the customer or, or customercentricitymanifesto.org, add your name to that growing list, and then learn more what it takes to get your organization on board with it. Say that site again, Peter. Customercentricitymanifesto, all one word, yeah, dot, dot org. Dot org. I suggest uh, the, the people who listen to this show, for the most part, are... are small to mid-sized businesses, but we have several large companies. We have universities listening to this, in addition to Wharton. I have several friends at Penn and Wharton, and um, hopefully they'll listen to this. Uh, your friends will listen, I hope. Um, okay, here's something that I want to spend quite a bit of time on for selfish reasons. I am involved in several companies in terms of buying and selling. Um now, not gigantic companies. We're in the 10 to $20 million space for the most part. I love the section talking about valuation, corporate valuation in terms of customer centricity. Talk to me about that. Explain I'm what you're so talking about there. I'm glad you asked. I was going to find a way to, to wedge that in there. Yeah, well, you uh, don't have to worry about it. Just put it in. <laughs> Go. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, you know, I mentioned my first startup, Zodiac, and we were working with a lot of companies just to give them the CLVs and say, here's what you do with it. Uh, and one of our clients was a private equity firm. And I found that kind of weird. Like I said, mm. we're working with retailers and hotel chains. What's this private equity firm doing? And what they were doing is taking all of these CLVs, these future projections of the value of our customers, adding it all up, and then using that information to decide what companies to buy or sell. Mm. Uh, so when we sold the first company, Zodiac, we then founded a new one called Theta Equity Partners, ThetaEquity.com. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all we do is customer-based corporate valuation. Oh, that wow. a better way of doing valuation compared to the usual Wall Street way of just looking at revenues and coming up with some multiple and saying, eh, that's what you're worth, yeah. is let's do it from the bottom up. Let's project how many customers you're going to acquire, how long are they going to stay, how much will they spend. And if we can project each of those things and bring it together, we will come up with a more accurate assessment of the value of the firm and a better understanding of why it's worth that much. To have these diagnostics to understand why a different company might be worth more or less. 
and it's working. Oh, and we're working with a bunch t- of private equities and late stage VCs yeah. to do bottom up valuation. And Peter, you already know this. There's big and small companies. That's going to sound revolutionary too. You know, I've been in them. You've been in them. To even look at this is so critical. So this whole concept, the customer centricity, your playbook, and uh, the whole idea of customer lifetime value, looking at it as part of the valuation of, a, of an organization. If I can say this, that kicked ass, Peter. I just like that. <laughs> the whole thing <laughs> kicked it- ass, but really great. Excuse my choice of words. Um, you know, so, boy, we could go on and on and on. Um, so Peter Fader and Sarah Toms, the customer centricity playbook. How do you want people, in addition to the manifesto, how do, would you like people to connect with you, Peter? Well, I've, I've, I've mentioned uh, lots of different ways. First of all, big user of, of Twitter, so uh, Fader P on, on Twitter. Yep. Love to link in with people and keep the conversation going there. Yep. Uh, I mentioned my new startup, ThetaEquity.com. Lots of interesting content posted there. Uh, and, of course, uh, buy the book. Buy the book. <laughs> um, uh, and then send me an email. Yeah. Uh, I'm so pleased to hear your reactions to it, Marty, how, how deeply engaged you are. Uh, that means a lot to me. Uh, and, and we really are trying to start a revolution here. Yeah. And we're looking for all the, all the members to, to join the team. And so I, I hope that some of your listeners uh, will be just as passionate as you've been about it. So we got the valuation part in there in the last minute or so of our time together. What did I miss? What do you want to drive home that, uh, that maybe we didn't talk about? Well, you know, as we move from just standard marketing tactics to overall corporate valuation, uh, it brings up a really important point. This customer centricity stuff and these lifetime value tools aren't just for marketers. I see this as an enterprise-wide strategy where I want all the people in operations and sales and, and human resources across the board to see how these notions and these, these methods make their job better and easier and more effective. So it's not just some flavor of the month marketing thing. Yeah. It's a top down. I want CEOs to fully understand this idea instead of just saying, ah, it's just those crazy kids in marketing doing their thing again. <laughs> uh, and so that's, again, one, one of the things that Sarah and I have been trying to emphasize. And we really want to make these ideas very broadly appealing. Well, you've done a good job on this show. So Peter Fader has been my guest. Book is The Customer Centricity Playbook Implement implement a winning strategy driven by customer lifetime value. If you're a CEO of any size company, if you're involved in marketing in any way, if you're in technology in any way, you got to read this book. Peter Fader, thank you so much for being part of the Business Builder Show. Marty Wolf, great talking to you. Keep up the good work. Thank you for listening to the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf. Reminding you to find all our shows and many other great shows on C-Suite Radio. That's c-suiteradio.com. On behalf of myself, Marty Wolf, your host, and D.C. Taylor, my executive producer, thank you for listening to the Business Builder Show, but stay tuned for information on how you can become part of the C-Suite Network. Bringing the business classroom to you, it's the Business Builder Show with Marty Wolf. As a loyal fan of this C-Suite Radio Show, we've got an unbelievable offer for you. Listeners to the Business Builder Show get 50% off a C-Suite Network membership. The C-Suite Network will help you become the most strategic person in the room. You'll have access to top-notch benefits and networking, all helping you get the most out of your position. Take advantage of this limited-time offer today. 
Learn more about the C-Suite Network membership at c-suitenetwork.com slash CSR. Again, that's 50% off a C-Suite Network membership at c-suitenetwork.com slash CSR.